Hey, this is Dylan Collins, your host. You're about to listen to an excellent conversation with uh, Nathan Phillips, uh, who's co-founder at Technology Humans and Taste. And um, we recorded this episode uh, in person in New York pre-COVID when in-person was actually a thing. Um, and one quick caveat, you're going to hear reference to a project that he was working on at the time called Kid HQ. That is now walmartwonderlab.com, uh, just in case uh, you go searching for this um, after the show. Um, it's a really, really enjoyable conversation. I know you're going to love it. Um, so listen to Kid Tech, episode nine. Welcome to Kid Tech, a podcast that goes behind the scenes of the kids' digital sector to talk to all of the interesting people and influencers and CEOs and founders um, that are shaping our landscape. Today, I'm in New York City with Nathan Phillips. He is the co-founder and chief creative officer of, um, I think, my probably the favorite my favorite company name um <laughs> technology humans and taste you call it that mm-hmm. for short but i mean i technology humans and taste is just an amazing name i really appreciate it it um we it depends if you're talking to somebody face to face we recommend calling us technology humans and taste but if you're for example writing down your email yeah we've got urls that are just that the important thing is that both names are basically entirely ungoogleable <laughs> so, <laughs> is, is that a deliberate business strategy to be un- I mean it it's actually counterintuitive my superpower is coming up with really um, really effective names that happen to be largely unsearchable um, I won a Emmy for an uh, interactive documentary called The And right amazing <laughs> no one can find it online <laughs> you can't find that online it's impossible that's superb um, but who are you um wow um well so i uh am the co-founder along with my buddy dave calvert and chief creative of that and i myself am a writer um and i come from a background of basically um writing long form documents um Hmm. such as like a book right scripts um, I started a speechwriting company with a woman who's now my wife called the Oratory Laboratory, um, which is still um, alive and well. And um, as I kind of developed as a writer, um, as a young person, um, I started getting involved in theater at a young age and really became obsessed with improv, um, but not um, today's kind of um, gamified um, and commoditized improv where you're taking right. classes and stuff right. more like the world of physical theater and, um, old Italian comedy, you huh. know, like kind of artsy fartsy, um, and, um, much more theatrical. Right. And as I started interacting more and more with audiences, um, I started, um, employing more and more technology, um, because as you want things to happen in real time, you know, first you want, you know, the projector to turn on at a certain point. And then right. you want the music cues and eventually ended up um, working with a guy named Mike Counts, who's this incredible immersive theater director, um, making a show in Vegas, hmm. um, which was an interactive billboard. So I was live on screen um, with an audience made up of whoever was on the strip. So we'd all of a sudden get 400 people on the street dancing together. And um, that turned into interactive art at right. museums. Hmm. like MoMA, Museum of Contemporary Art, um, in collaboration with others. And that led to um, making interactive stuff 
often and most usually financed by brands. Huh. So that was the oratory laboratory to that journey. Yeah. Well, that was or, the. Or, or, or were you were you doing it all in that 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 sort of first week? The if I was gonna like lay it out on a timeline, that was my trying to answer the who am I question without breaking into song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Before we started recording, we were talking about freestyling, and yeah. you know, you just started talking about improv. So I, I just I have a feeling we could get musical on this, but let let's see where we go. We're only moments in. Um. The uh. Yeah. The the way that it kind of evolved was um. Um, I've, I've always been a writer, um, high school newspaper, stuff like that. Right. Um, and improv started also while I was in high school. Right. Um, I lied my way into a local um, improv group in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, and that was all kind of consistently led us to where we are. And um, the way that I think about all the work we make at that um, and the whether it's art stuff or mm. brand stuff, um, Everything we do kind of blurs the line between fiction and reality and uses technology mm. to do it. So our output is everything from Super Bowl commercials to beautiful documentary to um, interactive experiences for kids um, and for everybody else. And we also play with lots of different technology from AR to VR right. um, to SMS. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. still a thing. Yeah. It's like such a thing right now. Um. You have a methodology called the Dim Sum Club, mm -hmm. which I read it. It sounded delicious. <laughs> but can you can you explain what that is? Yeah. So when we started, uh, when we started that, uh, one of the things um, we knew was that in popular conversation, the agency model is broken, mm. and um, I was coming. Um, from uh i bounced around to a bunch of different agencies um i'd worked at google for a little bit mm. and uh, my partner had also um as a producer um worked at some big agencies and we knew we didn't want to do what we had already done right um and we knew that um we wanted to collaborate right with geniuses from everywhere right. we didn't want to limit ourselves just to marketing people and to people that looked like us so we knew that we had to find a different way of working right if you want to think differently you have to work differently you mm. write different stuff with a pencil than you do with a computer mm. than you do with a crayon right mm. so we really focused instead of um, just operationalizing based on what we knew on iterating a new way of working so i um, created a form and when you fill out this form uh, it forces you to have an idea. And it's a really simple form. It looks like a tax form. The form itself feels entirely uncreative. Um, and it's really easy to fill out. I could fill it out. You can fill it out. Um, anybody, a nurse could fill it out, a firefighter, Martin mm. Scorsese. Everybody fills it out the same exact way. Um, and you use a problem and a truth, and there's a little bit of a facilitated process you go through. And at the end, you end up with a solution, a creative idea. Hmm. Um, and you do it in collaboration with others. Um, and that form we used in our very first Friday, we were open in a basement in Soho and we invited some, like basically the weirdest people I could think of. Um, we had drinks and some snacks and not many. We we're very much bootstrapping. Um, and we all filled out the form and then we read the forms hmm. that we'd filled out to each other. And the first thing that happened was I was like, those are ideas. Right. Um, we had stripped away all of the um, dogma from creative thinking, all of the cultural equity associated with experts in the field, mm. all of the stuff that you were supposed to do to be good at this thing. And we had kind of made it this very, very simple 
act that anybody could do. Hmm. And the end result was that everybody did it. Um, and it was so special to go around and have a creative conversation at four o'clock on a Friday. Um, and we continue to do that. And we've had that meeting every Friday at four hmm. um, since then. I'm going there directly after this. We have a curator um, who invites people from the outside focusing on eclectic and um, diverse perspectives. Um, and we've had thousands of people um, and we've wow. developed thousands of ideas. And what's been really incredible about the process is aside from the fact that we experimented with something and it actually functionally worked is um, we started doing it with brands. Um, and we would take, uh, we do a bunch of research, traditional agency, qual and quant research, and we generate all this thinking. Um, and then we'd use this simple form. And rather than leaning on creative directors and copywriters and art directors from advertising, we'd pull in people we thought were amazing for the task at hand. So we did a dim sum hmm. for a toy company not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And the creative team was a child psychiatrist, um, this incredible Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master, uh, a doctor college professor who focused on um, dying and the culture around dying, um, a Girl Scout leader, um, a stay-at-home mom, right? And these people using creative dim sum were able to generate a wide breadth of an idea, a wide breadth of ideas, quantity, right? And we then strategically, um, and with the people that work full-time at our company, go through all these ideas, collaborate with these people, generate our own work, and curate down to a simple and focused group of um, really effective, totally out of the box, totally original concepts. Um, we deliver them on a menu, because mm. right. dim sum. Mm -hmm. And um, we collaborate hand in hand with clients to um, then execute that stuff. And like I said, um, what we've made spans from Super Bowl ads right. to augmented reality to you know tons of branding and stuff. And we also work with artists. So we're starting a residency program. Um, we work huh. with organizations and nonprofits to reduce the nuclear threat, all using creative dim sum. Let's talk about that whole process, but through the the, the perspective of kids. So can you talk to me about the Kid HQ project? Yeah. Basically, um, when you go shopping um, in a store, right? Um, and I have, two, I have two little girls. Um, I'm thinking about what I can afford. Mm. <laughs> um, and they're thinking about what they want to play with. Right. Um, and there's a tension there. <laughs> and... Um, that results in conversation. Um, and then that allows us to then decide um, what toys we're gonna be playing with. Um, and so from, from a digital perspective, um, how do you create a conversation um, that's all about play? Right. Right. For kids, it's not about buying stuff. It's about having fun. It's about getting your hands dirty. It's about learning about your favorite toys. Um, and then uh, something for parents that um, allows them to um, get the stuff that their their kids are going to want, so <clears throat> we looked at um, you know just your general e-commerce website in the upper left hand corner. You got that hamburger menu, right? Those four lines in the corner. You click them, and there's like a drop down menu with all these web pages. Um, and we started to think about like what would that be like if it was a place that you could go to, hmm. right? A place that you could really explore, a place that you could um, really discover something like play like you were a kid um and so what we did is we imagined the hamburger menu with a z-axis 
hmm. we're like, oh, that looks like a building, right? And each of those pages in that hamburger menu were like floors in a building. Um, and so um, we developed this thing called Kid HQ, which is a huge building that has lots of different floors. And you can travel between those floors and play with different toys. And each floor is an entirely different world to explore. So um, the first world, the, the, the first floor was um, called Toy Lab. And right. Toy Lab ultimately is like an interactive unboxing experience. So it's hosted by a couple of amazing kids. There's about 50 kids that live there and they're all toy technicians and um, they can play with toys and that's their expertise. And you basically enter in through an elevator called the Funivator um, and there's a robot that works there. And um, you can, using interactive video, um, pick toys you wanna play with and then decide how you wanna play with them. So you could go using this kind of big, magic, um, clear plastic shoot, kind of like one of those, for those of you who are old, you remember in the bank where you put the money in the plastic thing and it got sucked up by a tube? It's like that, but filled with toys. And um, you use this, uh, this kind of joystick-like device with big fun buttons, and you cycle through, you find a toy, you pick it, right? Um, and then um, one of the kids is holding the toy. And he says, basically, what do you want to do? And you can test it. You can test its splashability or its rollability. You can watch this kid play with it a bunch of different ways. Um, there's a button called the don't push button. When you push the don't push button, the entire experience breaks um, because kids, you know, right, love right, right, to right. break stuff. And we wanted to give them that opportunity. So it's a free play experience where kids can explore and engage with toys as if they were really there. It's almost mm. like taking the unboxing experience, which is entirely passive, mm. and putting the kid in the driver's seat. So how do you want to open the box? What do you I, want to do? I have so many questions about all of this. The Going back to the the, the dim sum club, I mean, you presumably use that, that process and methodology in terms of thinking about this. But w were you bringing um, kids into that, or were you coming at it from an adult perspective? Or, or how did you think about sort of conceptualizing all this? So um, with Toy Lab, we did um, we did a bunch of um, experiments with kids in terms of how they play with toys. Right. Um, and the play patterns that are native to them. Um, and because, you know, kids don't necessarily follow the rules. Um, but the cool things about toys are, are that they're designed to be messed with. Right? right. And right. you see, obviously, there's lots of toy trends where, um, you know, even breaking into the toy is in itself the most fun right. part of it. Um, so we pulled together this kind of wild array of um, play patterns and experiences. And what we identified as wishes that kids had around how they engage with toys. Um, and then using that, we tried to create a forum for them where all of those things could take place. And that's why we started thinking about, you know, a flat website and making it a place mm. that you can play. So in this sense, the kids were our collaborators because they really informed us about what they wanted to do. Right. And then it was our job to create an environment that felt very native to them that and they could explore on their own terms. Before, or I suppose as you were getting into the work on that, um, you must have had a bunch of sort of you know, preconceived notions about sort of how kids think about toys from your own kids and, and mm -hmm. observation. I mean, what did you learn? What were you surprised by as you went through all of this in terms of, of kids' feedback and how kids were actually thinking about this? Well, I think the, you know, the, the way that people often think about the internet um, 
is they try to create a frictionless experience. Mm. Um, something that is as quick as possible. The first four seconds of the video has to be its most interesting. Um, but I don't think that that's how kids work mm. um, because I don't think that's actually how humans process experiences because without friction, there is no story. Right. Right. Without friction, there is no rules. Mm. Um, and without friction, there is no fun. Right. Um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell made this great point that I'm going to totally botch, but he talks about, um, you know, when you think about Google search, it just shows you exactly what you're looking for, which is the opposite of search. Right, right, right. yeah. <laughs> and so I think what we found is um, the more the more kind of opportunity for chaos, the more opportunity for free play, um, and the more kind of counterintuitive UX decisions we made, the more fun it became for kids. Right. The longer they hung out there um, and the more stuff they did because kids... Um, and again, I think this goes for all humans, but um, to design for a kid um, is to design for somebody who doesn't follow directions. Mm. Um, and for it's to design someone who, if, they, if there are directions, they will do the opposite thing, right? And it's about creating an experience that when you break it, it becomes more fun. Mm. And there's a, a real culture, I think, of people who make stuff for the internet um, to try to protect what they've made, to make sure that there's only, um, you know, there's very specific things you can do. And when you share, you share based on exactly what the brand wants you to share. But again, um, kids want to take ownership of it as right. do all humans. And so I think, um, working with grownups to design like a kid is really hard. I think we can all say like, yeah, I get kids love to play. I can think like a kid, be impulsive, be crazy. I like dirt. But to design intentionally is really counterintuitive because we've been trained to be so efficient. Right, right. And um, when I think about sort of the, the client management aspect of that, it must be hard to sort of justify and explain, you know, why you're, you're, you're taking that kind of an approach mm -hmm. when your client is presumably an adult, right? It's it's it, like I mean I suppose my question is more around do you feel that understanding of kids' play behavior is 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 truly understood by everyone else in the sector? Um, no, I I think that that's a really big challenge, mm -hmm. and I think because um, we were lucky enough to have the world's best clients on Kid HQ, right? Um, but if I were to zoom out a little bit. Um, and you think about the devices we have, um, your phone does everything. Right. Your tablet does everything. Your computer does everything. So when you're going from machine to machine, you're not choosing devices based on what they do. You're basically choosing them based on size, mm. right? And ultimately interface if you're thinking about a keyboard. Um, but toys aren't like that. Toys, a baseball is incredibly different than a football. Right. Because baseballs are good for one thing, footballs are good for another. You can make a million different games out of it, but when you choose a baseball, there's no way you were going to choose a football, right? If I can't find my computer, I can use my phone. Mm -hmm. um, so, grown ups who, whether you're a digital native or whether you're somebody who works with digital devices all the time, is thinking almost in completely the wrong paradigm. Because you're trying to make um, 
something for an audience which is ultimately um, really passive. You know, you're trying to say, cool, well, you know, people are on their phone, so they're not going to pay attention to what we're making. So we should make it really short. Right. Right. But if you're designing for a kid, it's like kids don't pay attention to anything unless it's fun. So before we do anything, before we think about the correct rules, before we think about historically what has worked, before we think about your testing, before we think about your strategy, the number one lens to do, to think about it is like, was, is it amazing? Yeah. yeah. Right. And most importantly, when a kid looks at it, have they ever seen it before? If the answer is no, that is good. Mm. If the answer is yes, then do they always love to play with it? And what do they do with it? So do, do you think, I mean, when you consider, I suppose, a lot of technology and, and consumer level technology now, from the perspective of everything you've learned um, working on this, I mean, Silicon Valley doesn't seem really a place that is good at designing for humor and mystery, <laughs> right? And it's UX. Mm -hmm. um, do, you think, do you think that that's a fair fair statement? Um, I'm without. Well, they design with a lot of humor and mystery, whether or not it's intentional. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the because I just I've never really heard anyone talking about you know technology and 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 UX in those terms, um, and I think that's because you've got an awful lot of people who are building in the kids space mm -hmm. that really don't are building in a, in a very sort of abstract or intellectual way. Right. So I think th there's a couple ways to think about it. One is, and we say this a lot at work, um, but uh, pizza is technology. If you think about it as spaghetti with a handle. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's like cars listening to this podcast just veering off <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the um, <clears throat> civilization breaking right. down <laughs> if you start with the actual ingredients you start all the way at the beginning you've right. got flour and water mm -hmm. somebody's inevitably going to come up with pasta right and it might be in different shapes or whatever but then you have pasta and it's hot um, and you put different sauces on it maybe you settle on tomato that stuff's all kind of um from a design perspective, inevitable. And you can design it a bunch of different ways. Right. But then when you try to eat it, you burn your fingers. So you grab a fork. And you're like, cool. Using your fork, you're doing the twisty thing. And then you have this huge thing of pasta on your fork. And you're like, I can't fit that on my mouth. I got a better idea. Got a spoon. Now you have a fork and a spoon and pasta and a napkin tucked into your shirt. And it's like, hold on for a second. The user experience is awful, right? Because what you're trying to do is continually design the correct thing, right? Obviously, we need pasta. Obviously, I need a fork. But if you were to break the rules for a second and start over and go, cool, flour and water will clearly make pasta. But before I do that, I'm really going to think about what I want here. Maybe you go and you get a little bit of yeast. You throw that in the flour and the water, and then boom, you have pizza. And pizza is an amazing user experience. You can walk with it, right? Saturday Night Fever, he walks with two slices folded in half. You can put whatever you want on it. Um, it's mobile. You can make a bunch of different types of crusts. It's a way better design experience, and the user experience is consistent at all ages. So... Um, and you can edit that whole thing out if you want. But basically... No, no, this is staying in. This is when, amazing. I, mean, when, I, I, I can feel like the nation of Italy is having a moment <laughs> right now. When, uh, when, when we design as grown-ups, we start 
by designing inside the phone. Right, right. Right, or inside the device. Mm. And it's like, all right. But, like, what about what happened before I picked up the phone? Sure. So the way that I think to design a pizza out of it, if you will, um, the right way to design is to design an experience that requires technology, right? To design a scenario which means that you have to pick up the phone, which means mm-hmm. that you have to pick up the device. And when you think about kids, too, it's like we put the thing in front of them. And then we go, cool, what do you want to watch or what do you want to play? Mm. But really a holistic design experience would be like, there is no iPad. There's no tech in front of the kid at all. And you go, kid, what would you like to do? And the kid goes, well, today I want to tame a unicorn. Cool. How are we going to tame a unicorn? There's a million different ways you can do that with construction paper, with all sorts of different stuff. But if you come up with a technology solution that is the best way to do it, then all of a sudden you have something which is really integrated into the play experience. Mm. And now you can start thinking about, well, yeah, we designed an app that does something, but we started way before that, right? right? right. And we started with a story. So maybe what we need to do is get parents to start this story that finishes in the technology. So it's there to elevate the experience, to enrich the experience, Mm. as opposed to um, pull them into the device. And the last thing I'll say about it is, all forms of play require movement mm. except for digital ones. Um, even interaction when you're tapping on a screen, um, the the first apps that I let my kids play with were the Brian Eno ones where mm-hmm. you just tap and it makes a shape. And they're beautiful interactive experiences and you can spend a long time with them. Um, but it's still a static experience that continues on without me, whereas the football is no fun until I pick it up. Right, right. Um, so with technology, it should be thought of the same way. Whether for a grown-up or whether for a kid, we have to treat them like toys, right, right? right? They're designed for fun, but they're only fun when you pick them up and start moving around. And when you look at the data on the number of kids that are going online and are using digital devices, I mean, it's something like about 170,000 kids using the internet for the first time every day, right? It's crazy, crazy numbers. Mm-hmm. So kids are, are spending an enormous amount of time using technology devices, UX, that were never fundamentally designed for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that we need, you know, sort of a, a design revolution in the context of that sort of demographic change that's that's happening to digital devices I mean, should iPhones fundamentally be more fun? I think that's a great, um, it's a great question. And I think overall, um, you know, you get a device and there's some interesting statistics around like how much um, training a new owner of a voice controlled device goes through, right? And to really understand how your phone works, to really understand how, your Amazon Echo works requires some research and you got to like really, but people don't go through the thing. They get the device and they think, cool, I'm an expert at it. Um, So when you say that 170,000 kids a day are using devices, I would argue that they're not using the devices, right? I would argue that they're not going online. They're going online, but they're not using the internet. Right. The internet is this incredible portal um, into connected information Um, And it's hugely immersive and it can manifest itself in almost limitless ways, right? With and without devices. But to say that because I'm holding a device and I'm on a browser, I'm using the internet, I'm not. I'm hugely underutilizing it. Mm. Um, So 
I think to to think about this as the end all and be all of devices in general is short term thinking. And I don't mean that in a I'm not um that wasn't intended to be critical of your question. People tell me I'm wrong the whole time. No. <laughs> the um I see a future for devices that are reimagined. Hmm. Um single use devices dedicated to being really good at one thing. Because hmm. right now, like I said, your phone, your tablet, and your computer all do everything. Right. That makes them ultimately useless, right? We spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out what to do with them. But what if my phone did what my phone was supposed to be incredibly well? And then if I needed to go into a browser-based environment, I went to a device that did that. But isn't that kind of a contradiction of your exploratory design point? If you're creating devices or experiences that are optimized for one particular function, mm -hmm. where is the fun? Where is the discovery of, of unexpected things within that landscape? Well, I, I would argue that like using devices all the time to engage with technology, like we don't have to. Like maybe we should be using our devices less. Maybe we should only create dedicated devices when there's something worthwhile to do. And maybe to answer your original point, like, do we have to design our phones to be more fun? I think that's absolutely possible. But I think first we need to think about like, what is fun on here? Mm. We're designing apps for the phone. We're not designing phones for the apps. That to me makes much more sense. Like what, what, what are these good for? Now make that right. Right. Look at my case. My case has a pocket on it. For those of you at home, it's like a leather case. It's kind of fat and larger than it should be. And then I keep my cards in it. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> Why? My phone was never intended to be good at holding a credit card, but like it's credit card shaped. So somebody's like, oh, I'll sell this dude a phone case for 60 bucks. And now it's this, right? Everybody stop. Put down your AutoCAD programs or whatever people design products with and like start over and go, what? is the point of all this stuff. If you get back to like the native state of the web, it's about hot links, mm -hmm. right? It's about freedom and exploration of very, very simple things. People layered on these, these GUIs, these graphical interfaces and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't know if that necessarily makes for better experiences. The, I think what you guys have done with Kid HQ is, is, absolutely amazing and i think it's it's the kind of thinking that is needed to help the entire sort of kid space and frankly anything that's interacting with kids you know move forward from everything you've learned about um because I, I sort of want to i want to finish up on sort of a very kind of forward-looking future thinking kind of perspective everything you've learned from about but sort of ux and engagement with kids from kid hq if you're thinking about all the toy companies who are listening to this right now, what should they be thinking about um, for for play, for play engagement with kids five years from now? How should they be thinking? What should they be investing in? Who should they be bringing on board? The, <clears throat> I think the first thing that we all need to do is realize that none of us are experts in technology. 
and to expand on that, there are no experts at innovation, right? Mm, right. Because there's very rarely do people come up with a brand new thing over and over again. But that's ultimately what the brief is if right. you're working with kids. Right. Right. Um, so if we stop for a second trying to design for the devices or take the toys that kids have and trying to inject technology into them, um, you love you love a stuffed bear. Now let's come up with a stuffed bear that does 10 other things. Stop for a second and <clears throat> pretend that the technology doesn't exist, right? You have flour and you have water. You have kids. They're learning to walk and talk. What would they most love to do? And you will, your answer will be impossible to fly, to be grown up. Um, to turn into a dragon, to turn into a fairy. Once you have that answer, mm. then figure out how to do it. And in doing that, you will stumble upon an absolute necessity for a piece of technology. Make that, and that's how you design for kids, right? Um, we talk at that about, um, can I swear? Okay, the um, we talk we say there's three types of ideas. There's good ideas, there's shitty ideas, and there's impossible ideas. Um, everybody thinks about good ideas. The electric car, cool. That one's taking care of itself. No one listening to this should try to focus on good ideas because we all get it. That's not where you uncover a genius, innovative, super fun idea. If you look at shitty ideas, shitty ideas are so dumb that people never pay attention to them. But your pet rocks, and I don't want to mention any specific um, toys that are incredibly popular right now, but sometimes a rubber ducky is a shitty idea, right? There's in Amsterdam, there's a rubber duck store. All these different rubber ducks. What a shitty idea. So amazing, right? Because when you take a shitty idea and you actually realize it, often you'll find that the reason you didn't understand how amazing it was was because it felt stupid. But inside that stupid little thing, your neurons made a connection where it was, there's something valuable there. Mm. So if you can actually push yourself through your judgment, through your expectation that no one's going to care about it because you don't totally understand it, and you bring it to life, you will make something of value that, if nothing else, is totally original. An even better place to focus is in the third type of idea, the impossible idea. I want to be a dragon, right? Um, when you think about an impossible idea, you can't achieve success at making it, but you can fail mm. at making it. And when you fail at making something impossible, what you succeed at is making something far more creative and far more interesting, far more uh, far-reaching beyond your beyond where you thought you were going to end up non-derivative because you're reaching for something you didn't know how to do. And that's where success is, especially from a product or design perspective, because you have to iterate and you have to really reach. And that's where, like for us at that, like we, you know who we need? We need a professor who's an expert at dying in a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master. Like that's crazy that you would ever get them in a room together until you do. And you realize, yeah, these are the people who should be talking about, you know, giving gifts and and playing because they understand what's important. They understand right. how to run a fantasy. They understand that when you're in your last moments, when you look back at your life and you say, what was most important? Your childhood pops up. What do they talk about, right? So when we talk about designing for kids, I think we need to stop being experts, stop being grown ups, right? And start just for a second 
let the kid be the genius. Let the kid mm. be the boss. And really simply just walk up to a kid and say, if you could do anything, what would it be? And then go make that. I think everyone listening to this is going to have to rewind, take notes, and think deeply about the future and all of the impossible ideas that they need to focus on. Uh, Nathan Phillips, uh, co-founder, chief creative officer of Technology, Humans, and Taste, that. Yeah, you can find our work at that.site or technologyhumansandtaste.com, depending how much you want to type. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for joining us on Kid Tech today. Thanks for having me.